Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue in the book of Genesis. Let's join Tom now. Hi, here's a thought for today. There's a very interesting verse that Moses told the Jewish people in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6. It was so important that Moses started off by saying, Understand, understand therefore that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. What was so important was that Moses was explaining to the people, never think of yourself as righteous. Never call yourself righteous. Never refer to this man as a righteous man, or that man as a righteous man, or we as a righteous people. Never do that. Because he said, God considers us to be a stiff-necked people. And what we have received is not on the basis of what we have done or what we are. That's why Moses says, Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. Well, if it's not for our righteousness, then why has God blessed us? Because of his grace, because of his mercy. Therefore, we should be an appreciative people, a people that is always speaking the praises of our God, a people that realizes that God has been merciful to us, lost sinners. It's wrong to think that our righteousness caused the Lord Jesus Christ to give us anything. It was all because of his mercy and his grace and nothing in us. Thanks, Tom. Now we'll continue again today in Genesis. But you have to choose the angle from which you're going to approach the Bible, study the Bible, or teach the Bible. You know who did this, and you know who made it very clear to us? John, the Apostle John. He chose what he was going to bring out, or emphasize, or teach in his gospel. And he didn't make it a secret. He told us at the end of his gospel why he wrote what he wrote. Turn to it. It's interesting. In John 20, verse 30 and uh, 31, as a matter of fact, he, he didn't state it again, but the last verse of his book in, in, in uh, chapter 21, he says, there's so much that could be written that I suppose all the libraries in the world couldn't contain everything about the Lord Jesus. But what he says here is his angle. In John 20, verse 30, he says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. What's he saying there? I filtered. I took what I wanted. I chose certain points. And he says, so, so, so John, what, it, what was the basis for your filtration? What is the basis for your choice about what you, what you chose to teach, what you chose to emphasize? Where's your angle, John? That's verse 31. These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. See what he does? He, he gives us his angle. He says, my goal among all the many things that I have picked out and filtered and put forward in this gospel, is that I want three things to happen. One, 
I've chosen these things in the Gospel of John so that you will believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He's the one. He's the one sent by God. Second, I want you to believe, and that's why I've put, picked these things out, that he is God the Son. God the Son. We're going to talk a lot about God, the great word Elohim, which is a plural word, and the three persons that it make up that Elohim. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you say the Son of God, which is written here, you have to say in your mind, that means God the Son. It's Abba Elohim, Father God. It's Ruach Elohim, Spirit God. And it's Ben Elohim, Son of God. He says, I want you to believe that, that He is God. He is God the Son. And then he says, I want you to believe that, but I want your belief to be of such a quality or such a type that it causes you, it draws you to put your trust in Him, to make Him your God, your Savior. And if you do that, John says, I know my God, and He's promised that He'll give you eternal life. So he's written these things because he wants us to have eternal life and he wants us to have eternal life by enlightening or renewing our minds by the things that he's brought out. That's his goal. First book in the Bible. Let's start, let's start at the beginning of the book. Let's, start, can't, let, let, let's judge the book by its cover. What's the cover of your Bible say? What's it say on yours? Holy Bible. That's what mine says too. It's falling apart. but it's Holy Bible. What's that word holy mean? What's holy mean? It actually comes from a Hebrew uh, root, it means to make clean or to, to be clean, make clean. Now, what's the word Bible mean? It means book. You're going to go to the, the, you go to the book place. In German, you're going to go to the bibliotheque. In French, you're going to do that bibliotheque, Spanish bibliotheque. It's, bo- it's book. It means book. Book. Seems like a pretty uninteresting title for a book, but it's called the book because it's the book. It's the book. If you, this is a book like no other book. So if you want to find God, you want to find out who God is, you want to find out what God has done, you want to find out what God is like, you want to, you want to know about God, you want to know Him personally, you want to find out the first, remember the first rule in life, you want to find out what makes God angry, First rule in life, don't make God mad. You want to find that out? You want to find out, second rule in life, what makes God happy? Make God happy, second rule in life. You want to find that out? Your goal in life, your goal in life is to say, yeah, God, you know, he's a friend of mine. That's your goal. If that's, if that's, if that's what you want, this is the right book. This is the book that'll do it. And this book will take us to two levels with regard to God. In the first It'll tell us what God did, what's called in the Bible his acts. But in the second level, it'll tell us, the more that we see what God did, it'll tell us who God really is, his personality, if you will, or his, what, he, what he's like. And when you sit down with this book and read it, you know what it's like? You're going out on a date with God. This is, this is a book that you go out on a date with God. You learn about Him. 
And just like with the Kendo Matoko and Cheryl and I, the more you learn, the more you're interested and you're drawn to, and you say, I can't get enough of God. I want more and more. And these aren't just words in this book. These are what the Bible calls words of life because all of these words point to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when he said, search the scriptures. You think you have life in them? I'm telling you, they are they which testify of me, which speak of me. That's what the Bible is. It speaks of him. First of all, it's called in, in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God. It's called the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. As the word of God, it points to the revelation of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Ephesians 1.13, in whom you trusted after that you heard the word of truth. It's called the word of truth. The gospel the good news of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. It's called the word of truth because it points to the one who is all truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It all points to the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth that brings us the gospel, the salvation. That which was from 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which I looked upon, Our hands have handled of the word of life. It's called the word of life because it points to Christ, the life giver, the one who has life in himself and we have death in ourselves, so we need his life and he is the the one who gives us life and so therefore this word which describes him is called the word of life. Romans 9, 9, it talks about the word of promise, which was given to Abraham, but God's word is called a word of promise. This book is filled with promises, which Peter says we should use to cleanse ourselves and to stay away, as Clinton was mentioning, from this, wor- this unholy world. It says, it also says in, in Romans 10, 8, it says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. This is faith. Faith in who? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This word, this word will give us, will strengthen our faith. We can come to this word like that father. It says, I believe, help my, my unbelief. I have faith, help my unfaith. That's word will do it. In Matthew 13, 19, the Lord Jesus Christ said, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and then he goes on and talks about those who don't understand it, this word is called the word of the kingdom. It points to the Lord Jesus Christ as the king and of his kingdom. It goes on and it, it says uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling Two opposing parties, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, committed unto us, the word of reconciliation. This is a word of reconciliation. This is a peace treaty. This is the roadmap to peace with God. This is what is called the word of reconciliation because Christ is the reconciler. Colossians 3. 
16, it speaks about, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is called the word of Christ. You know, we go through it, and, and, and some of our Bibles in the New Testament, they have the red letters. We have the red letter edition. It's all about him. You can make the whole book red. <laughs> it's all about him. It's called the word of Christ. Hebrews 5.13, everyone that has used this milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. You all know... In Second um, Timothy three sixteen speaks about the the word being inspired by God and it's profitable and it goes in as profitable for doctrine that tells you what's right, it's profitable for reproof that tells you what's not right, profitable for correction that tells you how to get right, profitable for instruction that tells you how to stay right. All about righteousness. The man of God, thoroughly furnished, all good works. Righteousness. It's the word of righteousness. It tells you when you're not there. It tells you, it tells you what, where you should be. It tells you when you're not there. It tells you how to get there. It tells you how to stay there. Word of righteousness. And one thing this book is not, in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men. This is not the word of men. Look at in Hosea 8.12. Wonderful thing that God said about his word. You know, God chose some pretty stubborn people. He chose a very strange people, the Jewish people. I can tell you from experience. They kind of really put God to the test. And they, they sort of like spurred him on to do these acts. That some of them are good and some of them are not so good. He's speaking to the Jewish people here in Hosea 8.12. And he says, I have written to him the great things of my law. But they were counted as a strange thing. Several things in that verse. First of all, it was personal. I wrote to him. It's personal. This book is personal. This book is very personal. It's, it's, for, it's especially for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's God's letter to us. Did you ever heard the story about the 12-year-old girl in Russia? During the communist times, when, when the professor got up and uh, he said, um, I've read this book to the class during communist times, the atheistic time. I've read this book, and I have to tell you that having read it, I have come to the conclusion it's full of myths and lies and fairy tales. And then he said, after all that, he said, now tell me, class, is there anybody in this class that still believes this book is true? And so one 12-year-old girl stood up. And so he says, well, he thought he'll make an example of her. He says, come on up here. And so she came up, and he says, he went through his rant, and he says, I've told you I'm the professor of this class, and this book is full of lies and myths and fairy tales, and there's nothing true in it, and I'm the authority in this class, and what do you got to say about that? And this little girl says, that's what you get for reading someone else's mail. This is our personal mail from God. <clears throat> what he calls written to him in Hosea 8.12 and what he calls great things out of the law, out of my law. May it never be said of us that we view the Bible as he called it a strange thing. We don't want to do that. This book should not be strange to us. This book should be like a constant companion a constant friend that we, as it says in Deuteronomy 6 and in Deuteronomy 11, that when we wake up in the morning, we're thinking about it. 
When we walk by the way, we're thinking about it. When we drive in our car, we're thinking about it. When we listen to our iPods, we're thinking about it. When we talk to our kids and teach them, we're, we're talking and teaching about it. Constant, constant, constant. God, 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 and then more God. That's what God says the Bible should be to us. Very familiar, a friend, not a strange thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, Lord, that's the book for me. Oh, Father, make us to be those who are so appreciative, like that one who turned back, Lord, and to say thank you. Thank you for giving us your Bible, for giving us your word. Make us to be, Lord, those who are full of faith and approach this book and just say at every page, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. And we do thank you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom, in today's message, you talked about the different names God gave for his word. God himself has many names, but what is your favorite name for God and why? Well, there's many names for God that are my favorite, but the ones that really do capture something wonderful, I think, as they all really do, but the third word in the Bible is the word Elohim. And that's a wonderful word because Elohim means the the unity of God, the composite unity of God. It's a plural name. It's not a singular name. It's a it's a name which is which is expressing the members of the Godhead. And we know from scripture that there is God the Father, there is God the Son, there is God the Spirit, there is Abba Elohim, there is Ben Elohim, there is Ruach Elohim. And the wonderful thing about the Elohim is expressed to us in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, the Lord our God, Adonai Eloheinu, which is the word Elohim, possessive, Eloheinu, Elohim. He says, the Lord our God is one Lord, and then it says, Adonai Echad, Echad. It speaks about the oneness, because when we look at the redemption, the Father planned the redemption. The Spirit of God made it all able to happen. And God the Son was the Redeemer, the one who came and poured out his life. He poured out his life unto death. He poured out his soul unto death, as it says in Isaiah 53. So this is a wonderful word, the Elohim, because it explains and it expresses the the oneness of the three persons of God in redeeming man. And, of course, how they were all centered around Bain Elohim, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and became the Say Elohim, the Lamb of God. So this is a wonderful name, Elohim. But, you know, in thinking about the Shema and thinking about that word Echad, there was a time in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ when speaking to his enemies, he made this statement in John chapter 10, verse 30. He said, I and my Father are one. Now he spoke Hebrew, and what he said was, I and my Father are echad, echad. 
And when he said that, everybody thought of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Echad. And so then it says, then right after that in verse 31, John chapter 10, verse 31, it says, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. They went to kill him. And then it says, Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. See how they got the message? They understood exactly when he said, I and my father are echad. They knew exactly that he was speaking from the Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4, that he was speaking as God the Son. And he was referring to God the Father. And when they heard that, they said, blasphemy, we have to kill him because that he being a man maketh himself God. You know, they made a huge mistake there because they said, he being a man, maketh himself God. That wasn't the truth. The truth was that he being God made himself man. And that is the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. The unbeliever says with the, with the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders at that time, he being a man tried to make himself God. That's an unbeliever. But the believer says, no, I believe the account of the Bible. And the account of the Bible is, he being God made himself a man. Why? So that he could be the say Elohim, he could be the Lamb of God, he could die for our sins. That's wonderful. And then, speaking about his name, there was a time when the Lord Jesus Christ was alone with his disciples, alone with his own. And it says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, that he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? How interesting is this? Here the Master has turned the subject to who he is. The great secret. Isaiah chapter 53 starts off by saying, Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And then the rest of the chapter goes and describes a person. And so now he's starting off from that point in Isaiah 53 is addressing that very question. Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then it says, and they said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias or Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he turned to them and he says says this, he saith unto them, whom say ye that I am? And so here he's turned the whole subject now, not to what others say, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter 
said those wonderful words so succinctly. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, You are two things. You are the Messiah and you are God the Son. You are God, the Son of the living God. You are the living God, God the Son. You are the God, the Son of the Elohim. You know, friends, ask yourself that same question. Who do men say that the Lord Jesus Christ is? Oh, many. He's a man. He's a prophet. He's a good man. He was a great example, etc., etc. But after all's been said, and you've heard it all, then picture the Lord Jesus Christ turning to you and saying, who do you say that I am? And your answer determines your destiny, according to the Bible. And if you believe, as Simon Peter so succinctly put it, that he is the Messiah, God the Son, he is God who became a man to become the Messiah, to become the Lamb of God, to die for my sins. You, my friend, are a child of God. You'll live forever in heaven. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Tomorrow, Tom will continue in the book of Genesis. If you'd like to learn more about Tom Cantor or Israel Restoration Ministries, visit our websites at friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. There you'll find more resources to help you with your friendship with God. Join us again tomorrow at the same time as we continue in Genesis. Genesis.